Well, this morning, um, as you've heard, it's the third Sunday of the Advent season, and in the third Sunday, we celebrate joy, uh, which is such a great thing to celebrate, to be joyous, to be rejoicing. And so as we look at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, um, what we're seeing is just how we can rejoice in life's difficulties, even when the night may seem long and it may seem dark. We have faith, faith, and we can trust that God will be true to his promises. So I think most of us have these moments of anticipation where we're waiting for something good to happen. Uh, you know, maybe it's, you know, a promotion at work is coming and you're just ready for that day when you can celebrate, uh, even more so for that first paycheck that reflects that raise. Um, maybe some of you, you know, it's graduating from school. Uh, you're just waiting. You're like, I'm in my final few months. I'm almost there. I can't wait for it to come. Uh, some of us maybe are going through seasons of darkness where we are just waiting for this to be over, where we're hoping and we're, we're waiting for that light to show up. Uh, one of my favorite stories to share, and if uh, you were at Westland over the summer, you already heard this story from me, but I love to share it. And it's about one of the times I went camping. Um, so several years ago, I told a few friends, I was like, you know, I've never really been camping. They were like, what? This is Oregon. This is what you do. There's nothing else to do. <laughs> so they were like, you know, let's take you camping. What's a weekend that works well for you? And, you know, we got it all planned out. And, you know, get my gear, go with them. And it's a great time. You know, uh, I, I, we're enjoying our time, hanging out, talking, campfire, all that stuff. And then it's time to go to bed. And the plan was for me to have my own tent. And one of my other friends who came, he was going to stay in his truck because he just got in it. He was excited. His plan was to refurbish it and be able to sleep in there. But then he's like, oh, I don't think I should do this tonight. So he's like, can I share the tent with you? I was like, all right. It's a two-person tent, but we're also two fully grown men. So it's, you know, we're comfortable in there. And it had been raining that weekend, so we also put some tarps over the tents to make it a little more waterproof. And, you know, off we go, you know, good night, all that stuff. And my friend falls asleep, like, right away. Within five minutes, he's snoring, he's knocked out, and I'm just sitting there in the dark hearing him snore and trying to fall asleep. Eventually, I kind of, you know, I kind of fall asleep. Then I wake up, though, and I wake up, and it is just darkness, pure darkness, and I start to think about how the tent is just like a few inches from my face and how I'm zipped up inside that tent and how I'm zipped up inside a sleeping bag, and just the crushing weight of the darkness and the suffocating space. And I'm like, where is the air coming from? Where is it going? <laughs> and in that moment, I realized, oh, maybe I'm a little bit claustrophobic. <laughs> and so I 
fumble around trying to find the opening of the tent, and I can't even find my glasses, but that's the least of my concerns. I just need to get out of that tent. I need to escape. And I go out, and I see, you know, the starry night. I'm like, okay, this is better. Um, eventually, what happens is, you know, I get back in the tent, and I leave the flap open, and I just put my face right there and keep my face so that there's fresh air coming in the whole night long. But also, I did not know what time it was, because at that time, I also had a very old phone that its battery drained really quickly, and I was trying to save the battery for the drive back. So I spent that whole night not knowing what time it was, not knowing how quickly or slowly the hours were going by. And the moment the sky started to brighten, I was so relieved. I was like, all right, this means it has to be, I don't know, five o'clock or something, and within a few hours, everybody else will be awake, and we can go home, and I can go to my bed. <laughs> um, so that was just for me, was just this moment of, how long does this night last? Uh, when will the dawn come? And it was just such a relief when the sun finally came out, and we were able to head home. Um, on the other hand, one of my friends who was supposed to bring breakfast, he forgot the eggs, so it was like, ah, oh, we're all going home hungry now. But okay. But this moment of, you know, you have these moments where you're just, you're waiting for something. You're waiting for something good to happen. And this is what we see in the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Um, we can see how they're able to anticipate the promises of God finally coming to completion. And then we're able to see how not only them, but the people of God can also wait for our sorrow to be replaced by joy. Elizabeth and Zechariah show us how God can take away the barrenness of our expectations and replace it with the joy of what he's doing, what he's doing in this world. So we're covering a lot of ground today. Uh, we're going to be doing verses 5 through 25 and then 57 through 80. Uh, in my Pentecostal upbringing, such a long passage would not be an issue, would just be here till I was done. But we're not Pentecostal, and I know you all have lunch plans, so we're going to get to it. So we begin with Luke 1.5. Uh, it says, In the days of Herod, king of, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So right here we already see Luke, ever the historian, places us in the context, the days of Herod the Great, so right at the end of that B.C. period. Zechariah uh, is a priest. His wife, Elizabeth, is a descendant of Aaron. And says they're both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in his commandments and statutes. So they are righteous people. And they're not just righteous to other people, but they are righteous before the face of God himself. And I think it's easy for us to sometimes look at the Old Testament and we think, you know, these people were justified because they kept the law, because they did everything that Moses had commanded. But throughout Scripture, we can see there's always been only one way of being justified before God, and that is by faith alone. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they didn't just keep the law externally, they kept it internally 
And they were justified by God based on their faith in his promises. And verse 7, though, shows us the issue here. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And so as we heard a couple of weeks ago with the story of Abraham and Sarah, to have no child was a mark of shame for a woman in that period. And so Elizabeth is carrying around this mark of shame with her. Then verses 8 says, Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So Zechariah is chosen by lot to go inside to burn incense. The people are outside praying. And what we see is Zechariah is being offered a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity here due to the amount of priests, as well as the way in which they were chosen to serve. To be chosen to offer up incense was an event that only came about once in a lifetime. Zechariah is advanced in age, and so we can see that he's probably been through this ritual time and time again. Perhaps each time he was hoping to be the one picked to offer up incense to God. But it would not be so, not until he was advanced in age. And so for Zechariah, this is probably a moment where he's like, ah, oh, yes, finally, the odds were ever in his favor. And yet, we know that this wasn't random. Uh, Proverbs reminds us that, you know, the law is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. There was nothing random about Zechariah being chosen at this moment. Every single time that he had been passed up before was in God's control. God's sovereignty extends to every corner of creation, even in those places where we may think it's random. So God had a purpose in choosing Zechariah to be in the temple at this exact moment in time. And most of us here probably have similar stories, places where we can look back and we can see we can say, like, yes, the, Lord, the hand of the Lord was upon me in that moment. And it wasn't by chance that I was there at that time. And so God's sovereignty in our lives is one of the most comforting doctrines in the Christian faith. There is nothing that has happened that he has not permitted, nothing that escapes his view. Zechariah may have thought he was chosen by random lots, but this was by God's design because the time of the Messiah was almost at hand. And so verse 11 says, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in, spirit, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn, to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." Picture yourself in Zachariah's sandals. 
Maybe you're on the hospitality team and it's your week to come, set up early, you know, the coffee, set up the fragrance that will greet the people as they walk in. Uh, and as you're in the kitchen, putting the beans in the coffee machine, an angel appears to you. Or perhaps you're here early to set up the sound booth, got to do the, you know, test the mics, check the audio, and all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appears before you. How would you react? Probably the same as Zechariah. Most of us don't even need an angel of the Lord to scare us. If we think we're alone in a room and then somebody jumps out at us, we get frightened. So Zechariah sees this angel in the temple. And, you know, most of us might think, you know, of course, it's a temple. This is where God would make himself known. But most of us, we gather here in this building week after week here to sing songs and to pray. And we trust that God's hearing our prayers, that Christ is present with us. But if an angel appeared behind me, I think all of us would still be afraid. There'd be something scary about it. And so most of us would react as Zechariah did with fear. And so the angel replies to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Zechariah stands before a heavenly messenger, and there is nothing to fear. There is nothing to fear when good news is about to be announced. Good news that Zechariah and Elizabeth have been waiting for. Good news that Israel and the whole world have been waiting for. And so we come to this good news. The first part is Zechariah and Elizabeth will finally have their child. They will have joy and gladness and rejoice at his birth because he has been chosen by God for a great office. His name will be John, which means Yahweh has become gracious. The Lord's graciousness has been shown to Zechariah and Elizabeth in their old age. The second part of the good news is that this child will be special. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. It's marvelous news. And it's hard, it's, it's easy for us to sometimes not think about how great this would have sounded. But for the Old Testament Israelites, the Holy Spirit was not something that dwelt with them. The Spirit would come and go. It would come upon the people and they would prophesy and then the Spirit would leave again. And the prophets of old looked to a day when the Spirit would finally dwell with both men and women, young and old. And so for John to be filled with the Spirit, even from the moment of his conception, meant that he would truly be a unique child, one that would walk with the Spirit from the moment of his birth. So he will go before him, before God, in the Spirit and power of Elijah, and so Old Testament prophecy is about to be fulfilled. This angel's bringing good news, saying, look, something miraculous is going to happen. Malachi 4, 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. It's the final oracle of Malachi before the prophet's stopped talking for four centuries. And so these are the words that the angel is bringing again. And Zechariah would have understood the significance of these words. 
His child would be the one to play the role of Elijah. He would be the one who would make straight the paths of the Lord, who would prepare the hearts of the people. It's an amazing role. It's something that the Israelites had been waiting for year after year, generation after generation. Who would be the one to prepare the way for God to return? So God was blessing Zechariah and Elizabeth, not just, giving them in just, not just in giving them a son in their old age, but that this son would be the one to proclaim the arrival of the Messiah, the hope of Israel. And parents, if you received an angelic visitation while you were pregnant with one of your children, it was such great news, I bet most of you would probably be excited, right? You'd be like, yes, this is amazing. Like, thank you, God, for this opportunity. My kid's going to be amazing. Uh, they're going to do great things. But what is Zachariah's response? Verse 18 says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Zachariah, you just had an angel tell you this. What further proof do you need? You have a heavenly messenger saying, you will have a son. This is good news from God. And Zechariah doubts. And so once again, we step into his place. And we see Zechariah and Elizabeth were advanced in age. They had long prayed for children to be born, and yet that prayer had never been answered. They didn't have the luxury of being able to take a step back and open up a completed Bible and say, oh yeah, this is my role in redemption history. This is the role that, I'm gonna, that God has chosen us to play, so we just got to wait till we're old. No, they had to live their lives day in and day out without seeing the bigger plan of God at work. Prayer for a child as Zechariah fulfilled his priestly duties year after year. Prayer for a child as people around them had children and grandchildren. Prayer for a child perhaps even as Elizabeth started to enter into menopause. And for Zechariah, that prayer must have stopped at some point because here they were, a couple advanced in age, who could no longer give, uh, give birth to children. And they spent decades praying, and that prayer had never been answered. And what had once been hope, over time, probably became bitterness, disappointment. After all, both of them were people who walked righteously before God. They had kept his commandments and his statutes faithfully. Why hadn't God answered to not have a child was seen as punishment from God. And in his mind, why should he and Elizabeth be punished by God when they had been faithful to him? Why did they have to live their life with disappointment when they had served God so faithfully for decades? And so even as Zechariah receives this news, 
This good news in his mind is not enough to overcome the decades of disappointment and hurt that have built up in his life. How many of us haven't been in that same place, however? We have prayers that we prayed time and time again, but we felt as though God hasn't heard us. He's left us on red. I know those of us in our 30s or 40s, maybe even 50s or above, who are unmarried can relate on some level. We've seen friends around us finding their spouse, and we've rejoiced at their weddings, and yet we can feel the pangs of loneliness when we go back to an empty house. So we say, Lord, when will it be my turn? Or maybe you can relate to Elizabeth not having a child They say, Lord, I desire to have a child to start my family, and yet there's nothing. You can rejoice with other women who have children, who have received their firstborn, their second, maybe even their third, but you're still showing up to the baby showers alone. And the only time you're at the check-in station with the children's ministry is when you're volunteering there that Sunday. Or maybe it's a job that you prayed and longed for, in a field that you desired. And all around you, you see people who are working their dream jobs, who come home at the end of every day happy that they found their purpose. And you're still in that job that you said was going to be temporary, that you said, I'll only be here for a bit. And you start to wonder, when will it be my turn, Lord, to be blessed? And so many of us start that journey of prayer. You know, we say, I'm going to bring this to God in prayer. I'm going to pray every day about this. But then as the years go by and things seem to not change, maybe that prayer slows down. And a few years, a few more years go by, and then we just stop praying it. Or we say, Lord hasn't answered. He's probably not going to answer, so what's the point in continuing to pray? For Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were way beyond the age where she could have a child. So what was the point in continuing prayer when her physical body couldn't give birth to a child? Zechariah had most likely given up on that prayer, but now finally the Lord, in this moment of disappointment, comes and says, I will reply to you. And so what are the prayers that we've given up on? Where are those areas in our lives that we once had hope for? And over time, we've just let the disappointment take over. What would it look like to use this season of Advent to renew those prayers? That as we anticipate God coming down to his people, we can also know that he is close to us and he is listening to our prayers And even in his own timeline, he is at work in them. God has not left us in the dark. He is near to us. And he wants to continue hearing our prayers. And so Gabriel's response to Zechariah, it's an easy, you know, it's an easy fix. All right, Zechariah, you don't want to listen to me? You're about to go through a time where the only thing you can do 
is listen. Verse 20, Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So Zechariah comes out of the temple. He is unable to speak. And the people recognize something has happened in there. He took way longer than he should have, and now he can't speak. Something must have happened, but Zechariah cannot say it. He cannot share with the people. He finishes his priestly duties, returns home, and in time, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And she says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So Elizabeth received the blessing of God with the fullness of heart. And so we skip ahead to verse, uh, this is Luke 1, 57. We skip ahead. It says, The time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Yahweh has indeed become gracious to Elizabeth, and they are able to rejoice in the birth of a baby boy. And according to tradition, on the eighth day, they go to circumcise John. And the people want to call him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth says, no, his name will be John. And one would assume that since this would be the only heir that Zechariah would probably have, that he would want his son to carry out the family name. And so the community, they appeal to Zechariah. They're like, hey, are you going to step in? But Zechariah backs up Elizabeth. And, you know, uh, Zechariah backs up Elizabeth, and he calls for, uh, for a writing tablet. And he wrote, his name is John. And so Zechariah listens to God's word finally, gives his son the name of John. Yahweh has become gracious. 64, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. They must have seen, this community would have known that Zechariah became mute after his temple vision. That he was mute the entire time that Elizabeth was pregnant. But now this child is born, and miraculously, Zechariah can talk again. And so they all have this, this fear Something miraculous has happened. There is something special about this child. And so Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied once more a sign of how distinct John would be in his life. Zechariah, though he was a righteous man, did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in him at all times. We see here this moment where the Spirit comes upon Zechariah, giving him a unique opportunity to prophesy. And the same spirit would be the same spirit that had already been dwelling in John since the time in the womb. And so Zechariah prophesies, and his prophecy is one of great comfort to 
the people of Israel. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. The Lord has not forgotten his people. Though it has been centuries since he last spoke to them, since he last sent them a prophet, the Lord has not forgotten his people. He has visited them, and he will redeem them. A prophecy that points ahead to the great cost that will be incurred in order to rescue the people of God. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. A reminder that this promised Messiah would fulfill the covenant with David to sit on the throne forever. And as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, a reminder that what God was doing wasn't some new thing. It was what the Old Testament pointed to all along. It was what every prophet, judge, priest, and king looked forward to. Here is the one who will save us. Here is the one who will reclaim the throne. Here is the one who will bring us back to the Father. So verses 71 through 75 remind us that the Messiah will be the one to deliver his people from his enemies. From the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. It ties the story all the way back to Abraham and Sarah, the archetype of the couple who couldn't bear children in their old age. Zachariah would have surely seen his own story play out in the same way. Just as God had not forgotten his covenant with Abraham and his promise to give Abraham a child, so God had not forgotten his covenant with Israel and his promise to finally bring about the chosen son who would crush the head of the serpent. Abraham and Sarah stood at the beginning of this covenant promise. Now Zechariah and Elizabeth stand at the end of it. Just as Isaac would not be the chosen son, but would point ahead to the sacrifice of the son for the people, so John would not be the chosen son, but he would be blessed to be the forerunner, to point the people to the son that was coming to save them. The people of God would soon be delivered from the hands of their enemy, a bigger cosmic story than anyone could have imagined. Not just deliverance from Rome, from this occupying force that took over the Holy Land, but deliverance from the actual powers of darkness that stood behind them. Israel would be delivered from her true enemy, death, sin, the devil. And so the second part of Zechariah's prophecy focuses on his own son. Uh, verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to, the people, to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Zechariah Zachariah recognizes the role that John will have in the story of redemption. John has been chosen to go forth in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the Messiah. 
He will give knowledge of salvation in pointing them toward the one who has come to save them. He will call them to repentance. He will show them forgiveness of their sins as they enter the waters of the River Jordan for baptism. Those who have been sitting in darkness will now be able to see the light of the sun as it rises to bring them peace and joy through the good news that will follow John in the person and ministry of Christ. We see that the people will get redemption, that they will see the fulfillment of God's promises, they will get mercy, forgiveness, and there will be salvation not just for Israel, but for all the nations of the earth. The time of darkness is at an end, and soon the light of God's revelation will be revealed completely to the nations of the earth. So on this third Sunday of Advent, we can celebrate the joy that comes with the closeness of the arrival of the Messiah. Elizabeth, Zechariah, and the neighbors were all filled with joy when John was born. For Zechariah, who had received this vision directly from Gabriel, he must have rejoiced all the more knowing that the birth of his son meant that the Messiah wouldn't be too far along. And if Elizabeth had shared the news with him, as wives do with their husbands, he would have known that Elizabeth's relative, Mary, would soon be giving birth to this Messiah. And in that son of Mary, the fulfillment of God's promises to his people was about to arrive. John would be the forerunner, but his ministry would indeed prepare the hearts of the people. The Spirit would dwell in him, and he would call the people of Israel to repentance. He would call out the injustices that were being done by those in power, and he would baptize the people in the Jordan until that fateful day when Jesus would arrive at the banks of the River Jordan. And John would point to him and say, I am unworthy to untie his sandals. The story of John's birth and the prophecy of Zechariah points us to the ministry of the Messiah who came to save his people. We see a barren womb that was given new life again, bitter disappointment that turned into hope, the joy of expectation, rejoicing in a God who has not forgotten his people. These are the things that we can give thanks for. Elizabeth thought she would never give birth. She thought she would carry that shame with her all the way to the grave. Zachariah had long ago given up on praying for this and potentially lived every day with the agony of, Lord, why did you never answer? But it is in that disappointment and in that delay that the Lord did his most glorious work. And so as I stand here and I look out at this congregation, I know that many of us have experienced the disappointment of prayers that haven't been answered, carry scars and wounds from places where we feel as though we carry our reproach and shame with us. Some of us may be on the verge of completely feeling as though God has abandoned us. What's the hope? What's the purpose? I stand here and I sing these songs, but I've long ago lost the actual spark of joy. 
I sit here and I pray alongside others, but I doubt that God actually hears me. We're in those places where our routines feel repetitive and without purpose. And especially the holidays can be hard for a lot of people because we see joy and cheer all around us, but deep inside, maybe we feel abandoned by God. And so we wonder, Lord, when will it be my turn to receive my blessing? When will you look upon me and take away my reproach? Elizabeth and Zachariah found their joy restored in their son John, but their need was even greater than what John could give them. They had need for redemption, need for salvation, need to be, a need to be saved from the darkness of their hearts and of the world. John would prefigure the Messiah who would come and give them the greatest joy that they could imagine. Jesus would be born into a spiritually barren world, one that had no hope for life because it was alienated from God. Death and chaos abounded. He would be born into a world where people had long ago lost hope that God was listening. It had been 400 years since a prophet had risen from among the people. But in Jesus, this hope was born anew. He would be the light that the world had long been waiting for, the one who would bring life to the spiritually dead, the one to begin this battle to reclaim the nations for God's glory, the hope of Israel who would restore them to their fortunes, the son of David who would reclaim the throne and fulfill the covenant made with David, the one to not just bring healing to Israel, but also to the Gentile nations who were far off from God all of us who stand here today. He would be the one to show God's mercy and grace to a world that was thirsty for it, the one to keep the law perfectly on our behalf, the one who would ultimately be offered up as a final Passover lamb, atoning for our sins and reconciling us back to the Father. He'd be the one who would rise from the dead, defeating death itself. He is the one who now sits at the right hand of the Father in power and glory. And he will be the one who will return once more for his people. We can rejoice in this season because we know that God has heard our prayers and he has not left us alone. Our deepest need is to be forgiven of our sins, to be reconciled to the Father. That was the work that Jesus did in, for us. For all of us who place our faith in Jesus, and believe that he is the son of God who forgave our sins. Our hope lies in the eternal life that we will one day receive and in the indwelling of the spirit who seals us for that day. God did not forget his people in the Old Testament. He answered their need through the person of Jesus. God has not forgotten his people in the New Testament either. We eagerly await our great hope when Jesus will return once more for his people. There's a day when he will return and every eye shall look upon him. When creation shall be restored to what it should have been. When we will be able to see God face to face. And on that day, we will be able to understand how God was at work, even in those moments where we felt far from him. God's people can rejoice in all circumstances because we know that he will be faithful to his promises we can lift up our hearts and sing praises to him 
because he has promised that he will never leave us alone. He's given us a spirit of comfort, of peace, of truth. He has promised to walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He's promised to be our shield, our strong tower, our fortress, our rock. We rejoice because we know that God has not abandoned his people. He is with us till the end of time, and he will be the one waiting for us at the end of our race. Let us give thanks. Father, we give thanks for your word. We give thanks that you are a God who did not leave us alone. You are a God that walks with us even in the disappointments and the joys of life. That through it all, we can share these struggles with you. Because you sent your son to live among us. And so we have a great high priest who knows exactly what we've been through who knows what it's like to rejoice with friends, but knows what it's also like to feel betrayed and abandoned. Lord, in the season as we anticipate your arrival in the birth of Jesus, we ask that the joy in our hearts may be rekindled, that we may find our strength in you, Lord, and that even those prayers that we have long ago given up on, that we may be able to start bringing them to you again, knowing that you are hearing us and you have not left us. Amen.